following message is distributed by the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. I'd like to uh, thank the worship team and especially Nathan for putting together the, the, uh, the, uh, the worship today because there was a theme in that, and the theme uh, includes these words, redemption, uh, ransom, the gospel, and, and then in particular, in particular, unending love. And that's uh, what this week's message is all about. That's what the book of Hosea is all about. Okay, so the, um, the theme, again, was redemption, uh, ransoming, but in particular, God's endless love. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit out of Hosea, um, chapter 1 and chapter 3. <clears throat> um, and I'm going to skip some and get back to it later. But uh, this is Hosea, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, then 3, 1 through 3. <clears throat> The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom and, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of uh, Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little time will I punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name, Not My People. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. And then chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, this is after uh, some time has passed, and Gomer has been unfaithful and is really down and out. Chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty and eternal and unchanging God, God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have come here today to worship you and to encourage one another and now also to learn of you and to know you better and ourselves better as well through your word. Your word is truth. Your word is, is power, power to change and power to save. Um, you spoke to your people and you spoke to us long ago through the life of a man named Hosea. 
You made his life a picture, a, a pageant of who we are and what we need and what you have done for us. His life was given to teach us, and we thank you for his obedience. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us today. I pray that you would empower me to give out only what is true and what glorifies you, what, what portrays you as you are. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would touch us all and soften us and make some of us this day wise even unto salvation and others of us more desirous to be in a constant, close relationship with you as this true story shows we can and must be. We are bold to come before you now in prayer and ask these things only because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. Amen. Well, as, as you were told, Pastor Clark has been out of town this past week. Um, he knew he'd be gone, and so about a month ago he asked if I would uh, speak this morning, and I agreed to do so. But I had been thinking uh, about speaking somewhere for almost uh, two months, and, and here's why. Paul, could you show that first slide? Uh, this is where Michaeline and I were in Malawi, Africa, about two months ago. Uh, I climbed the water tower and took a picture. Each one of those is a cottage uh, inhabited by a mom, a mother, and, and uh, ten orphaned children. Um, we were part of a, a, a medical mission. And uh, next slide, or picture. Okay. Uh, this lady uh, came to the clinic one day, and I had her record card, which had her name on it, and so I greeted her by name, and her name was uh, Tafua. And my translator, whose, whose name was Harvey, that's, that's quite, <laughs> quite an African name, um, he kind of gasped uh, slash chuckled. And, and I said, what, what, what's going on? And he said, well, her, her name, her name means we are all dead. And so I said, what, asked her, I said, what's, what's the story? And she told me that her mother had given birth uh, to three children before she was born, and all three children had died. And so probably assuming that there was a, a, a good possibility or even probability that she would also die, they named her We Are All Dead. Maybe they didn't want to get their hopes up too high or something. Um, anyway, she lived, obviously. And uh, she told us that she herself had ten children and that her first surviving child she had named Tayani, which means leave us alone. In context... It meant death, leave us alone, because Tafua's first child had died, and then she had afterwards two miscarriages. So her fourth child she named Death, leave us alone. Quite a handle for the rest of your life, huh? And as I sat there listening to the names and the stories, I immediately thought about Hosea and how he had given his three children some strange names as well, names that had specific meanings in context of the times. And also, of course, the wonderful message, actually the gospel message of Hosea. So that's been smoldering in my mind for the last two months, even before uh, Pastor Clark asked me to bring the message. 
Infant mortality is very high in, in Malawi. Uh, malaria kills many children as well. And one out of five adults is HIV positive in that country. So there's a lot of, of death. Uh, but in fact, um, the percentage of death in that country is no different than the percentage of death in our country. It's 100 percent. Okay? Um, and so we all prepare for that day. We prepare for the day we die, and we do so by looking at God's Word. And that's what we're here to do this morning. Um, in the sermon last week, which was in Deuteronomy 26, it was about a time approximately 1400 B.C. Um, that we, we studied. As you recall, God's people had been delivered miraculously out of Egypt and had finally come again to the promised land, uh, the land of Canaan, and Moses gave them some final instructions about what they were to do specifically after the conquest was ended and they were successful and settled in the land. As we learned, basically they were to proclaim the story of God's deliverance and find joy in the land that he had provided. Now, I know that because I wrote that down when Pastor Clark said that. That was the point. Canaan was to be the place on earth where God ruled over his people and cared for them and loved them and where they were to obey and serve and love him in return and love one another as well. There was to be that kind of relationship between God and his people which in the Bible is frequently compared to the relationship, a proper relationship of marriage. God as husband and his people as wife or bride. And that comparison or illustration is actually taken into the New Testament. So God had planned to save and deliver his people out of Egypt and then set up this, this, uh, this uh, nation in Palestine or Canaan as a showplace to the rest of the world, revealing how it is that man was created to live with God in control and with people loving and serving him. It's, we, it's called a theocracy uh, with God in control, which, by the way, is also a picture of how things are to be like in our day, this year, 2010, where our lives as individuals are supposed to be a kind of mini-theocracy where God rules over each one of our lives. And we're to love and serve him and find peace and our, find our comfort uh, in life in, in him. So the principles from last week's sermon given from God to Israel, those principles are for each one of us today. Um, we, we took home some principles or, or um, uh, observations. Okay, observations are really principles. Um, and, and there are principles that we're to take out of here and, and apply to our own lives. And there are some that we will, we will learn also this week from the, the relationship of Hosea and Gomer, his wife, which represents the relationship of God and his people, Israel. So last week, things were exciting. Things were optimistic. Um, right before entering Canaan, which was the promised, the promised land, there was all this potential for blessing and rejoicing and being this showplace for all the world to see. 
This week, we fast forward about 700 years and find out how things are doing in Canaan. Remember, there was great potential, excitement, great plans. Last week, 1400 B.C., this week, 700 B.C., 700 years later, what's going on? Well, things are not too good. As a matter of fact, things are terrible in Canaan. You see, God had blessed his people as he promised, but the people's response to their possessing the land and the possessions and peace and security that they had, their response was to forget all about God and to turn from him to the pleasures and the gods of the world around them. God had told them specifically, get rid of all the Canaanites, let none of them survive, because they would tempt his people into idolatry, and they were prone to wander like we sing in that hymn. And God has told them last week, remember, he said, you remember and proclaim over and over my deliverance of you, so they wouldn't forget him, and so they wouldn't try, would not try to live apart from God in the land. But the Israelites didn't get rid of all the Canaanites. And when things were good, they practically in their daily lives forgot all about God. And they got into stuff and they got into pleasure. Basically, when God had blessed them and things were going good in their daily lives, they forgot all about God and they became idolaters which means that they prioritized something in place of God. They broke the first commandment. That was the situation 700 years later. It was bad. And now finally God was going to react. And by the way, I think that's what's going on in our nation um, today. Uh, the United States was founded on Christian principles and was generally obedient to those rules of life. And God has, has blessed this country, and, and having been blessed materially, we, just like Israel 2,700 years ago, we as a nation are turning from God to, to idols and pleasure. And if you think about it, this nation of ours really is just a, a, a group, a bunch of individuals who, by and large, are doing the same thing. Having been blessed by God, each one of us is tempted to enjoy and, and also prioritize and worship the blessings of God rather than the person of God. That's our bent. We, we all face that every day. And, and that's why in last week's lesson, God's instruction was, was keep me in mind all the time. Don't forget me. And, and, and to do that every day, proclaim my deliverance, kind of like a daily booster shot. Remember whose you are, to who you belong, and who has blessed you so much. Well, it's 700 years later, and they had done just what God told them not to do. They had uh, uh, forgotten him. They had all these military victories. They had all these possessions, yet they had turned away from God. And God was grieved. God was heartbroken 
He was angry. But basically, his, the, the, the major reaction of God was, was that he was heartbroken and grieved. Grieved just like a, a husband who, who deeply loved his wife, but whose wife had been unfaithful and had left him for someone else. God was grieved just like that. So the situation is Israel is spiritually going downhill and God is heartbroken. But in, in the year 700 B.C., there's a prophet in the land. He's uh, young, uh, up and coming, dedicated, single. He's a man named Hosea, uh, probably just out of seminary and energetic, kind of like Pastor Steve five years ago, only Pastor Steve was married. And God talks to him. Chapter 1, verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land... Why? Well, because the land commits great whoredom by forsaking her Lord. First thing to realize is that God does not mince his words. Uh, he considers people who have idols in their lives to be... Well, for the sake of the children, I won't say the word he uses, but he, God considers them to be adulterous. Um, think about being yourself the young prophet Hosea. Um, his first job as prophet, his, his first job calling is to take for yourself a wife of whoredom. Uh, I would have said, if I were Hosea, are you serious? I mean, you want me to find a woman, love her enough so that I want to marry her, take care of her, have children by her, all the time knowing that she will cheat on me and one day leave me. Are you sure about that, God? Uh, that doesn't sound like a real easy life for me as a prophet. Life's not going to be that great if I do what you say. <clears throat> That's what... Um, I might have said, maybe you might have said the same thing, but not Hosea. God commanded and Hosea uh, obeyed. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. As an aside, uh, let me ask you, have you ever been convinced that God wants you to do something? And, and, and uh, something that's going to definitely make your life more miserable, more difficult. And, and people close to you say you're crazy to even consider it. Well, sometimes God does call people out of comfort and into stress to serve him and to reveal his character and to reveal his glory. Uh, Every time I go to Africa, and every time, and when, when Kim went to Haiti, she met people just like that. So Hosea does what he's been commanded to do. He marries a woman whom he loves, and the point is that he loves her as much as any man has ever loved a woman and married her. And they have a son whom God tells to call uh, for Hosea to name Jezreel which is kind of a complicated way of saying uh, punishment is coming. Uh, 
bad things uh, happened in Jezreel, and God is saying the punishment for that is coming. Uh, then Gomer has a daughter, and God says to Hosea, Now you name her no mercy. And then Gomer has a son whom God says, Hosea, you name that son not my people. That's his name, not my people. So the picture in, in the land then is, is kind of like the people of Israel uh, one day walking by the house of Hosea on their way to sin in some, some horrible way, you know, worship uh, some pagan god. They're walking to, on their way to sin, and they see Hosea and his three kids in the front lawn, and, and they say, ah, hi, Hosea. How are the kids? Let's see, what are their names again? Oh, yeah, punishment, no mercy, and not my people. Their, their names are given in God's mercy to try and cause the nation to think. You know, in mercy, God put these names on those children to warn his people. But it did no good. In fact, it did no good even in Hosea's own home. Because uh, sure as shooting in time, Gomer, his wife, sometimes he isn't, she isn't there when he comes home. And she starts to act a bit strange. She seems preoccupied and she is quite evasive when he asked her where she's been. And the house, home, uh, uh, Hosea's house is unkept. His kids are not being kept for, cared for properly. And when he walks in the street, people are starting to whisper behind his back and turn away from him. And one day Hosea comes home. You know, this is Hosea, God's prophet, righteous and, and obedient. Hosea comes home. And, the, and his wife, Gomer, is gone. And not my people needs a diaper change. And Gomer is gone for good. And Hosea the prophet is brokenhearted. He, he loves Gomer, his wife, deeply and passionately. He loves her and she has forsaken him. For what? Well, she's found some other guy. Uh, he's probably younger than Hosea, exciting, has no kids probably, uh, fun-loving, financially well-off, and he tells her how good she looks. And she doesn't look that bad, even after three kids. And for a while, Gomer and... Um, Significant other number one, we'll call him, have a, have a grand old time. Uh, but after a while, he tires of her, and Gomer has to find someone else. That's what happens in those situations. And so she does. Number two is not quite as young or good-looking or well-off. Uh, he certainly can't show her as good of a time as significant other number one. But after all, she's a bit older and a bit used herself. And there is room and board and no kids, so Gomer moves in with him. Well, after the while, the excitement is over and desire that he had for her is gone. And the relationship with number two is over. 
And Gomer, uh, by this time, has put on some years and some weight, and she's got some wrinkles. And significant other number three, who she hooks up with, certainly isn't significant other number one by a long shot. And he's got a place, and uh, Buddy's got a place, and, and he can take care of her at least for a while. But in time, there's a, uh, a problem, an economic decline of some kind, and this man, significant other number three, can't take care of her. And she finds herself in need of clothes and food and other necessities of life. She's suffering now and she's wanting, which is the due consequences of sin. So God must have said something at that point in time to Hosea, something like this. He said, Hosea, you're not taking care of your wife. She's in trouble. You better go over there and help her out. So Hosea obeys again. He goes and buys some things and takes them over to significant other number three's house in a rather uh, poor part of town. He knocks on the door expecting to see Gomer, but Gomer isn't there, but significant other number three is there. And he answers the door and says, uh, who are you and what do you want? Hosea says, well, <clears throat> I'm Gomer's husband. Number three gets ready to fight, but he doesn't have to because Hosea says, I understand that things are tough. I understand you're having problems taking care of Gomer, my wife. So here's some food and clothes and some other things. Please give them to her. Number three takes them, says sure, and closes the door behind Hosea as he leaves and says, what a sucker. What a fool. Soon Gomer comes home and her third lover says, look what I bought you. And he gives her the bag and she looks inside. She throws her arms around him and kisses his neck and says, wow, what a great guy you are. You're the, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. And all the while, Hosea is watching outside the window. And he's even more brokenhearted over the love that his wife is showering on number three. Let me read for you that. It's actually in chapter two, verse five. This is God talking of Israel, but it's really what Hosea must have lived through with his wife, Gomer. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink, verse eight. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain and wine and oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. The point here is that when we turn from God, God doesn't zap us immediately. He continues to patiently care for us because he loves us that much. You ever surprised when you... When you, when you turn from God, when you prioritize something else, and you know you're doing it, you don't get zapped. Look at Hosea and Gomer. 
But the way that Hosea feels after he sees Gomer loving on number three, after Hosea loving and marrying and providing so much stuff for his wife, after all he's done for her, that's the way God feels when we who are Christians prioritize anything else than him or find pleasure in anything besides him. That's the point. And that's what Israel as a nation was doing 700 B.C., way back in history. Well, time goes on and the kids are getting older and so is Gomer. Uh, She's been through a few more men by now and she's suffering because, because sin has consequences. Separating ourselves from God has consequences and she's experiencing them. And so numbers 4, 5, and 6 are increasingly abusive. And Gomer ends up bruised, abused, and probably missing some teeth. And she ends up alone. Apparently, she has to borrow some money even to survive. Money she cannot repay. So one day, we find Gomer... Hosea's wife, she's now old and skinny, slouched over, bruised, head down, missing some teeth, and her hair is a mess. And and we find her standing naked before some men who are buying slaves. And Hosea himself records what happens next in chapter 3. And the Lord said to me, Go ahead, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. Sometimes we have trouble discerning God's will. Hosea had no problems at all discerning what God wanted him to do. God said, love her, love her in spite of what she's done to you. He said, buy her back. Another word for that is redeem her or, or, or pay the ransom to get her back. God would say, Hosea, I know that she's caused you all kinds of grief and sorrow. She's made your life miserable and difficult. She's broken your heart. Now, you just go buy her back. And you love her again. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. And, and there's, I think, a significant omission here. God also must have said, and by the way, Hosea, don't chastise her. Don't make her now prove herself again. Don't require her to make herself worthy before you accept her. He says, you take her back, and when she returns, you commit yourself to her immediately. Look at, look at verse 3 if you've opened to Hosea uh, chapter 3. Verse 3, the last part will blow you away. It should blow you away. The last seven words of chapter 3, uh, there are seven words. The longest of them is only four letters long. But the words are this. Hosea is to say to her, so will I also be with you. 
Hosea buys her back, then Hosea recommits to his unfaithful wife. Now, Hosea represents God. Gomer represents Israel and us. The message here is that God loves his people so much that he is heartbroken when they prioritize something besides him. And yet he loves them so much that nothing will ever separate them from his love. And he is always wanting and willing to restore relationship and carry on. That's what God is like. I mean, God defines love. That's what real love is like. And that's what God is like. And Hosea learned that fact experientially. Uh, Hosea the prophet lived and acted and grieved just like God lives and acts and grieves. That's what this uh, pageant of his life is supposed to to show us. I mean, mean, God, God actually in history called this man, this real live man, uh, a good guy, well-educated, passionate, and obedient, and spiritual. God called this man to live such a life in order for God to teach us something about himself, the fact that he is faithful, and the fact that he does love his people. But Hosea, this young, energetic, right-hearted man, he trusted and obeyed God, and he suffered for doing it. He suffered in this life. His life was miserable. We'd say, well, life is, things are sure unfair for you, or, or you don't deserve this, Hosea. Or uh, he owed it to himself to divorce her and get some vengeance or compensation or something. But God never allowed Hosea to even think that way because God is not like that himself. God just loves and God keeps on loving. Yeah, Hosea had a miserable life, um, but he learned a whole lot about God. And because of the fact of his obedience and what he did and and wrote it down, inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, uh, we here today know more about the person of God, God's patience, God's kindness, God's forgiveness, and especially God's love. And God certainly used this situation. At the end of this all, Hosea certainly knew God better. He, he, He grew in character. And he became more like God. We call that holiness. So if you want a principle just from the life of Hosea, um, it's this. God is more interested in developing your and my character than our comfort. And God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness in this life. Um, Many people, I'm not the first one to say that. I've read that multiple times, but it's true. Um, God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. He's more concerned about making us holy than happy in this life. And uh, many of you know that. Holiness trumps happiness and character trumps comfort. 
Now, some of you can relate to, to Hosea. You've, you have obeyed like he obeyed, and you're suffering in life. You may be suffering physically, uh, financially, or probably most who are suffering are suffering emotionally, just like Hosea did. Let me suggest this. If you are suffering right now, first of all, you can be honest about it. It doesn't mean you're not spiritual. It doesn't mean you're not obeying God. But certainly don't waste this opportunity to grow in holiness and character. That's probably why God allowed it or sent it. Or maybe he allowed it so that people might see uh, Christ in you and in so doing reveal himself through you to someone else. That's what Frank prayed in his prayer, if you were listening and praying hard along with him, that that people might see Christ in us through how we live through difficulties in life. You know, people aren't that impressed when things are going well and we say we're Christians and trust God, but it's when times are, are tough. I was thinking about Bruce in this. Um, when times are tough and you witness of God's faithfulness, that's when people are impressed. <clears throat> Most mature Christians understand that Christ lives in them when they believe Christ lives in, through the, lives in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they want to reveal Jesus to others in their life. Sometimes we pray that early in the morning. Well, that's what God did through the person of Hosea. And that's what he might do in your and my life. But it might be through difficulties and troubles, just like in the life of Hosea. <clears throat> but know for sure, uh, once we are his people, uh, nothing can separate us from his love. That's the story of Hosea. Well, one of the one of the men who taught me the Bible, um, I've got his commentary and I've, I've read it, and got some insight um, even this last week. Um, one of the men who taught me the Bible said of Hosea chapter 3, which is only five verses long, he said, this chapter is the greatest chapter in the whole Bible because it portrays the greatest story in the Bible. Chapter 3 of Hosea is, the, he said, the greatest chapter in the Bible because it portrays the greatest story in the Bible. You see, the whole, the, the whole of the Bible is really the story of, of God redeeming a people back to himself. Right away, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we're presented with the problem situation which is man's rebellion and choosing to reject God and God's rulership over his life. The rest of the Bible really is God's solution to man's problem. And then it also talks about our response once we have been saved or redeemed. The Bible teaches that God will redeem and bring unto himself a people who will submit to him, and allow him to reign in their lives as he deserves. In New Testament times, those people are called the church, which interestingly is also called the bride of Christ. God does that all through redemption, which is a marketplace term, which means buying us back. And that's exactly what Hosea did for Gomer. Hosea bought back Gomer, which pictured one day God redeeming back Israel, his people, which has not 
happened yet nationally. And since in the Bible, very often the way God deals with Israel is the way he deals with us individually, this story or pageant is also about us. Hosea is God, and you and I, you got to deal with this, you and I are represented by Gomer on the auction block and not looking too good. That marketplace transaction for our lives and for our souls occurred 2,000 years ago on a cross. You see, the Bible says that it was while we were yet sinners, it was then, when we stood there like Gomer, it was then that Jesus died for our sins. And First Peter 1 says, you were ransomed. Ransom means the same as redeemed. You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers and the consequences, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You see, when Hosea purchased or redeemed Gomer, it pictured or it foreshadowed what Jesus would do 700 years later on a cross. He would redeem or he would buy back his people who were born in sin or in bondage or slaves to sin, which is how God sees every man. Jesus' death on the cross where he suffered the wrath of God in our place for our sins is the focal point in history, and it's where the justice of God, God God is just because sin has to be punished. It's where the justice of God and the love of God meet. You see, God is both just and God is, is loving. But it's not easy to be both at the same time, to be just and loving. Um, you'll recognize that fact as soon as you go home and read these three chapters again, especially uh, chapter 2. Um, there's some strange things as you study this um, about God's attitude and plans for his people Israel. He knows they must be punished for their sin, and yet he loves them. And that, that's what Hosea's pageant shows. God knows that we must be punished for our sin as well, but he loves us as well. So God has this problem. He loves the sinner, but must punish the sin. He wants to love, but he must act also in wrath. And, and God, it seems, if you read Hosea, struggles with this. Of Israel, listen to this. God says, I will strip her naked, kill her with thirst, and upon her children I will show no mercy. Yet he also says, I'm going to woo her back. God says, I will lay waste her vine and her fig tree. I will punish her for her feast days to Baal. Yet he also says, I will allure her. I will speak tenderly to her. I will give her her vineyards back. God says, I will put an end to her mirth. Yet he also says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And he says, you are not my people. And yet later he says, I will bless and multiply you. 
God seems to be schizophrenic here. I mean, he really does. How does God handle this impossible situation where he hates sin and must deal in wrath and punish sin, and yet he loves the sinner? Well, the, the best illustration of this, something that will stick in your mind, this sticks in my mind, is to imagine, um, imagine this whole assembly hall being filled with dynamite and there be, uh, being two fuses, one a block off to the, to the west and another one a block off to the east. One is, is, is uh, entitled God's Justice. The other fuse to the west is, is, uh, is titled God's Love. And what happens is at the identical moment in history, both fuses are lit. And both fuses come towards this building filled with dynamite. And at precisely the same moment in history, they hit the dynamite. And there's this unbelievable explosion of this building. The explosion happened 2,000 years ago on a cross in the same land of Canaan. God's justice demanded that sin be punished. God's love said he must save his people who are sinners. And so God accomplished man's salvation on a cross where he transferred man's sin to his own son and poured down his wrath on Jesus, who was our substitute. When we, when we sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus, really we're talking about his death on the cross. Nothing but the death of Jesus. And it works. It works for those who believe it and who will accept it. That's how God redeems or ransoms people today. But you have to accept being needy. You have to say, yeah, I'm like Gomer on that block. And you have to accept redemption, God's gift of salvation. But when you do, um, your anxiety over your sin and, and your death and your sorrow will be turned to joy. Paul, can I have the last slide? This was a little boy. If I gave you a, a year, you'd never guess his name. His name is Shame. And so I had to ask his mother, I said, what's the story behind that? She said, well, she said, when I, when I became pregnant with him, I was not married. And when Shame's father found out that she was pregnant, he said, I'm out of here. I want nothing to do with you. Forget it. So she went through the pregnancy and finally delivered this young boy. And afterwards, dad came by and saw his son, and his heart was touched. And it was touched to such a point that he reconciled and married Shame's mother. But just like in the uh, Old Testament Hosea, the father chooses the name the father here said, um, we'll name him Shame. I told the mom, I said, Blessing is a name, a man's name in Malawi. I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to change his name to Blessing. 
And she said, you know, that's what I wanted to name him in the beginning. But my husband said, no, we'll name him Shane. And you think, well, what a handle for a kid. But in that, in that society, these people aren't moving and everybody in the village knows what's gone on anyway. And so shame is not his shame. It's the shame of his parents. But, but there's no shame anymore. Look at his face. There's joy. Our shame, you know, the shame of sin can be turned to peace and comfort and joy like this also when we allow ourselves to redeem by our Father. And the only way to do that is to accept what Jesus has done for you. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord God, for this picture of your love and your faithfulness. We thank you that you treat us today just like you had Hosea treat his wife Gomer. You redeemed us when Jesus died in our stead. And we just need now to accept what you have done for us, our redemption. And we do commit ourselves to that relationship. What a God you are. When we were sinners, you redeemed us. And when we backslide, you recommit yourself to us. Please forgive us for ever valuing anything more than you. And God, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you'd work in the hearts of anyone who has not accepted your redemption. Please bring them into your family even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcevfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.